Praise the Lord. Okay, so the last time we uh, had an opportunity to, to uh, be up here, we were going through Mark chapter 6. And I think the last message we focused on Mark 6, verse 53 through 56. Uh, we had four verses there. And, uh, and we're going to just continue along and go to Mark chapter 7. And we're going to begin at verse 1. And, and as we get there, I just want to mention again what was taking place. Jesus had, you know, fed the 5,000. Uh, he walked on water. He was healing uh, people who were demon-possessed and healing people who were ill. And then in those verses, 53 through 56 of Mark 6, we see that people were coming to him. And we talked about how people were coming to him with different reasons. And, and there was, uh, the, whatever the reasons were in their hearts, they were seeking the Lord to touch at least the hem of his uh, cloak to, uh, for healing. And so when we look at this, what I'm trying to set up here is <clears throat> that Jesus, of course, was continuing in his ministry and his word was being spread. And then we get to, uh, we see some incredible stuff that we, we talked about the last time that Jesus was doing, the walking on water, feeding, and it's healing the sick at, at Gethsemane. And, and then we get to uh, chapter 7, verse 1. And so we're going to go through these verses uh, you know, one at a time. And point out some things again, what's taking place, because things kind of take a turn. Jesus is ministering, and then this takes place. So in Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 1, we're, we're going to point out something here. And what happens is, well, let's read verse 1. It says here, the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. So I'm going to stop right there already, uh, because I know some of you will probably be reading ahead, and uh, you'll get the gist of uh, what we're going through here of what Jesus is going to face uh, here. Uh, it says the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. Now, in the original text, in, in verse 1, there is a, a word, and it's, it's called, it's chi. In other words, it, it could be, in some of your translations may show this, it'll say, and then, and then some of the Pharisees uh, and the scribes gathered. So this is sort of like, all these things were taking place with Jesus, and then, and then, so read it that way, and then the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, and they had come from Jerusalem. So here they are gathering around him. Jesus is there, and we're going to see about three different groups of people. You're going to see Jesus, and there's three groups of people that we're going to see here. And you know what? We are in one of those groups, definitely. You're going to find yourself in one of these groups. These three groups are the Pharisees and the scribes, or the religious leaders. And then you have the crowd. Again, the crowd, the multitude that has been following Jesus, that he's been ministering to. And then there's the disciples. And so you're going to find ourselves, we will find ourselves in one of these groups. And if we're honest, we might find a little bit of ourselves in each group. And that's what I want to look at today. We want to look at these three groups and find out, you know what, there might be a little bit of me in each group. And in each group, there might be a little of good that should be in us, uh, as we find as we read further along. But you know, with the first group, <coughs> the Pharisees and the scribes, you know, we talked about them last time, I believe, and you might find a little bit of yourself in there, perhaps, maybe not. But wh whatever the reason is, there's, a good, there's good that can be found in each of these groups, and bad. You know, with this first group, you might find where the, well, these Pharisees, we know the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees and the scribes, they were cool guys, laid back, and they loved hanging out with Jesus, right? Not really, right? You know, they're, now let's not put them all in one basket either, because there were religious leaders that were getting saved. There were some that were sincerely inquiring about who Jesus is. 
But for the most part, they were against him. They didn't like that he was disrupting things that they had going on. So in this first group, you'll see these guys, and they're finding fault with Jesus. They're pointing out fault. And we see that a lot in this first group. The second group, the crowd, they're interested. They're seeking Jesus. They're there for various reasons, for healing. Who is this guy that I've heard about? And then there's the disciples. And the disciple means a learner. The people who are learning, the people that are following him, that have given up things, given up their lives and to, to some degree, and are following Jesus. So Jesus is going to deal with these three groups. And, of course, with the Pharisees. We know the Pharisees that were there for the wrong reasons once again. Again, they're here to question him. They may be out of, out of curiosity, some perhaps within the group, even of the group that are going to deal with him right now. But they're there to test him. They're there to challenge him. They're there to trick him. And like I said, you know, even today, we might find people in a large group like this, people who are here to question Jesus. Yeah, well, you know what? This part of my heart is reserved for myself because of the things I've heard or read or I've seen uh, in Christianity or what have you. But these people, these guys, the Pharisees, and we mentioned before, and just in case you're not aware, the Pharisees, those are the separated ones. Their goal was to be separate from the people pretty much, and they had a rigid adherence to rituals, tradition, and legalism. You know, they may have been well-meaning, like I said, but they took precautions. You see, it all goes back to what was going on with these guys is they, what, value the law, the Mosaic law. And they wanted to guard it and guard themselves. And so they have all these rules and traditions to protect themselves. Sort of like what we might do to keep our, our walks pure. To, to be living right. We set practical safeguards, and that's a good thing. See, that's the good part. But it can get out of hand, much like it did with these guys. So they became legalistic, self-righteous. They basically became religious, hence religious leaders. They were religious, and, and their relationship with God was based on religion, really, tradition. For example, in Luke 11.43, speaking of the Pharisees, here's a little picture of the heart set of understanding. Scriptures will be on the wall. <clears throat> Luke 11.43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplace. The marketplace where everything took place. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be heard. They loved the best seats, the chief seats. Matthew 6.5. It says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full, Jesus says. So like I said, in a group like this today, there could be situations where we're dealing with this. You might be dealing with this to a certain degree. And they're hypocrites. The word hypocrites is referring to someone who is putting on an act, a stage player, someone who is just going through the motions to give an impression of who they are, who they really aren't. So, you know, when we look at that, when we look at this, I, my prayer has been to examine my heart looking at this passage uh, in, seven, in chapter 7. Where, Lord, am I? Where do I need to change things? When do I fall into those traps? And Well, let's continue. Mark chapter uh, 7, verse 2. We see this. And they had seen some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. You see, here they are. Jesus is there. 
disciples are eating with unwashed hands. Okay, they didn't wash their hands, they're going to eat. These are fishermen, you know, hey, that's what they do, right? Maybe in the water a little bit. But they're, they're not washing their hands. But the Pharisees are gathered around. And they're gathered around with the wrong reasons. And here it is, jackpot for these guys. They've they seen something. They observed it. They basically caught something that they can hold on to and accuse them of. It's almost like a gotcha moment or aha. Look at these guys. They're not washing their hands. You see, they're triggered. They're appalled. They actually are seeing something what they believe is profane. It says that they had impure hands. They were eating their bread with impure hands. Koinos is the word here. Unclean, unhallowed, profane is what it means. Therefore, they're walking and they're seeing these guys who proclaim to be holy, if you will, and they see them doing something profane and they are triggered. Look at verse 3. Uh, as we continue, it says, <clears throat> and here's a little commentary, an explanation. Well, they just didn't wash their hands. What's the big deal? For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers, and copper pots. Now remember, this is the marketplace. This is vi village life taking place. This is where all the people gather for various reasons. You have people who are day laborers. They're there looking for work. You have children playing, adults gathering throughout the day and talking throughout the day. And there's sick people being brought out looking for healing and help. And then you have all this going on, village community things going on. And along come who? The Pharisees with their flowing robes. With their flowing robes, they pass among the people and it's like, whoa, their Pharisees are coming by. And they have their phylacteries, which are the leather boxes up on the head with all the scripture and they have it on their, on their arms as well, wrapped with the leather straps. And then what a scene that is. Jesus is there and the, and the guys are, not, are eating with unclean hands and to them they see unclean hands and they're triggered. It's profane. How can they be doing this because they were violating the traditions of the elders? They were violating some ritualistic uh, rules and, and, and guidelines here. And so they also had other things, as it says, copper pots and how they would clean things and do certain things. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples, why do your disciples not walk uh, according to the tradition of the elders, but eat, with, eat their bread with impure hands, with profane hands, with koinos hands. And the word they use here, are used here for walk is peripatheo, and it means to make one's way, to regulate, regulate life, to conduct life. Why do they live this way? Why are they living a life of profane, a profane life? Why are they conducting themselves in such a profane manner and not washing their hands according to the traditions of elders? Now, According to the tradition of elders, the Mosaic law required ceremonial washing of the hands for the priests, for the Levites. And uh, there was no requirement for others. But what, what took place is the Pharisees, um, they, 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 they instituted it. And also the Jews started to pick this up as well in washing their hands ceremonially or in this, according to the tradition of the elders. And the way it would work is they would hold their hands with their hands out, fingers pointed up. 
And they would have the water from a jar and they would pour it onto their hands. And so that it would drip down and it would run off the wrists. And it was done in a specific way. So you can imagine they're watching these guys eat, tearing up the bread. All right, let's eat. It's time to eat. Instead of not having someone pour some water, having it drip off. And what they would do is they would have the water drip off and run off the wrists. Then they would point their fingers down and then they would pour pour the water again so that it runs off the fingertips. And then they would rub together like a fist and what have you. See, they had a specific ways. Strict Jews would do it before every meal. They would even do it between courses, washing of the hands, and then go on to the next course. And so they had a specific thing, a specific way of how they ate. You know, I was thinking, when I was looking at this, I I was thinking back, and Jonathan probably remembers, and Lauren, lunchtime or something, I would grab the kids, and we'd go up to Jack in the Box and eat good healthy meal, right, for my kids. And, uh, <laughs> and so we'd sit there and, and I'd buy my double jack or whatever it is. And so I would open up and I had a routine. You would think I had a tradition of the elders. And I would open up my, my, the wrapper and I would fold it about a quarter inch on the top. No, about a quarter inch, three eighths. A quarter on the top, fold it a few times, get my cup and, and put a crease. And the same thing with the bottom, put a crease. And then I have my napkins here and I had it all routine all the time. And, and I would do that. And now I don't do that much because I don't need that jack in the box too much. But, uh, and I think of that and I think, wow, there was, it, it was so, it killed, I, I liked it because it was neat. Just that's the way I was. OCD, I think is what it referred to it. Um, but uh, yeah, so, uh, so that was a big deal. But I had this routine. You know, I, it also made me think of another time when I was a little guy in elementary school. And always my, you know, growing up, my mom would, would tell me, you know, you're eating and you know, chew with your mouth closed, chew with your mouth closed, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> chew with your mouth closed, you know, you, you know you're not a, you know, an animal. So she, uh, she would tell me, chew with my mouth. so I was at school, a little elementary guy, and we, were in, we were, had lunch, we'd go out to his benches and we're eating, and my friend is eating with his mouth open and he's smacking like crazy, you know? <laughs> you would think I brought my dog to school and he was eating, you know? <laughs> it was that bad. And so I was looking at him in disgust. I literally was like, Dude, close your mouth. I don't know if I said dude. I would, hey man, close your mouth. Close your mouth, man. You're chewing with your mouth open. I kind of made fun of him, mocked him. My friends joined in. We mocked him and we helped him. He stopped doing it. That was a big deal. Okay. But, you know, that was, that was what I was taught and it was kind of annoying at the time, but it was disgusting to me. These guys are walking upon these and now we're talking about something spiritually profane. So they're walking up and it's not, they're just not dirty hands. It's, they're not doing the right thing. They are not dropping the water and pouring it down. You know, some rabbis would teach that that at night, that demons would sit on their hands or fingers. And so they would have to wash them because in the morning, if if you touched your mouth, the demons could enter you. There were some teachings like this so that you could understand, like, wow, okay, now I get it why they were so appalled. They were believing this. They were holding to this. But the tradition of the elders, they, to preserve the, the, the integrity of the Mosaic law, okay. But it got out of hand, and it broke the spirit of the law. And so as we look at these guys, we can understand to a degree, but then they get a wake-up call. Look at verse uh, 6. It says, Jesus responds, and he says, And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written from this people's honor, uh, from 
written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Verse seven, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men. You see, Jesus lets them have it. Jesus doesn't take the time and let's have a discussion about this. He just goes straight at them because just as perhaps as disgusted as they were about this religious thing, he is about their, their holding to the tradition of the elders or the uh, yeah, traditions of man. You know, Jesus begins at this point to deal with the heart of the issue, if you will. He refers to them as hypocrites, actors, phonies, pretenders, frauds. So they come in, they're disgusted, they see this profane thing going on, and Jesus turns and lets them have it. It's like a spiritual slap in the face. Better than a slap in the face, it's like a gut shot. Where you, have you ever been hit in the gut? Have you ever been hit in the gut and lose your air and it's like, you think like your life's going to end? Because you can't breathe, you can't get your air back, you're like, oh, you're crippled pretty much. And so it's like he gives them a gut shot in his response. Rightly, the word here, well, let me read the verse that he's referring to in the Old Testament of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 29, verse 13, and it reads, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Commandment taught by men. Now, listen to how Jesus responds. He says, rightly. You know, he says, oh, an interesting thing here is you look at what Jesus is saying. They, they said, hey, these guys don't follow the tradition of the elders. Jesus turns around and calls it the tradition of men. He brings it down just to men from the elders, and it's a tradition of the elders. And he says, you guys and your traditions of men. It's interesting, and if you look at it, it jumps out on you at the page. You might want to circle and show that they're referring to his elders. He brings it to the reality of, you're talking about traditions of men. He says, rightly. And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy. That word rightly is kalos. And kalos. And it means beautifully, excellently, commendably. So think of how Jesus is saying this. And he refers to them as hypocrites or hypocrites. 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 Actors, stage player, a pretender. He says, man, wonderfully, beautifully, commendably did Isaiah prophesy of you pretenders, you frauds. That's how Jesus responds. Wow, now you see the gut shot. You see what he is saying, how he returns it on them. And when we think of this, how sad it would be if that were to be described of us. Think of it as me putting yourself there. Wow, how would Jesus respond to me to the behaviors that I have, the way I conduct my Christian walk? So it's something to think about. Um, <clears throat> I was reading in one of the commentaries, um, a pastor, uh, was a local pastor actually, uh, had once written this and he says, imagine Jesus uh, referring to things like, such as this and he says, they attend church but their heart is far from me. They read their Bible but their heart is far from me. They pray eloquently. They contribute money but their heart is far from me. They do ministry but their heart is far from me. They love to sing, but their heart is far from me. 
They talk to others about Jesus, but their hearts are far from me. Now imagine the Lord, that commentary about us. That is where we don't want to go. And this is why we're looking at this passage today. Uh, it's Obviously, we're moving on to chapter 7, but we're looking at it in this way, so that, Lord, guard me so that I don't become like this going through motions, becoming religious, following traditions that are now empty because my heart is far from the Lord. You see, the, the, these Pharisees were being blinded by their zeal. Zeal is a good thing for the Lord, to be zealous for the Lord, but it could be a bad thing when, it's, when our hearts get in the way, in, in the way that we'll see. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 9. He says, he was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. You're experts. You're skillful. You're skillfully doing something you are rejecting. In the original language, you find that he's saying, you are very craftily, crafty here. You are skillfully, you are masters at this in rejecting the commandments of God. That's what Jesus is saying. And we can get very crafty in going through the motions and, realize, and maybe not even know it because of our hearts. So if we look at verse 9, we see something like some sarcasm taking place with this kalos word again. You are experts at setting aside the commandments, the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition could be looked at as you are experts or how or some of your translations might say fool well or well um, how nicely how nicely you do this you see the sarcasm wow you are how nicely the way you are setting aside the commandments of God or you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God Jesus is speaking to their hearts because their hearts need to be changed he's not dealing with all the surface level stuff of this tradition stuff he's going straight to the heart and he's, he's giving them a spiritual wake-up call, if you will, at this point. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. It says, and he goes on to say this. Um, For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help, that would help you is Corban. That is to say, given to God, almost like accounted for. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. So what's taking place here is he gives them an example. He gives, for Moses said, honor your, your father and mother. We're to honor our fathers, our mothers. And what we're looking at here is when, when older age, you know, when, um, when, uh, when they need assistance, when they need help. And we, who have life going on, are there to help them. It, it's proper. It's, it's required. It's expected. And so he's saying, you know, we know what Moses said. But man, with you, you guys, with your traditions and your things, with this Corbin, uh, when you say it's committed to God, now what that meant was, is it's something that is committed to God and it's permanent for God. In other words, I can't even use it. Uh, I can't let you have it. I have property. I have land. Or I have money or something. But if I've said, you know, I'm commi committing it to God. This is Corbin. Uh, this right here. Okay, this is Corbin. And then later down the li line, my mother or father are falling into po poverty or something, and this would help them. But you know what? Wow, I already made a commitment. You know, and based on traditions of the elders, I can't give it to you. I've already committed it. Or I committed it and only I can have it. I 
committed it, conveniently committed it to the Lord, and I can't share. And so it caused them to violate the commandments of God. So whether they was giving land or funds to the temple, whether it was gifts to the temple, for the parents it was, you're out of luck. Too bad. I've already committed it. And so these things were getting in the way of their lives, of their relationship with their responsibilities, their spiritual responsibilities, because they're holding to these traditions. It was basically a selfish excuse. In other words, to keep goods, to hold on to things and not have to use them for anybody, even your parents. And so it violated the word of God to honor your mother and your father. So, um, and that, that, you know what, what is Corbin today? How does that work today? I mean, we don't have that where I commit something and now, sorry, you can't, you can't share. Well, you know what? Um, it's sort of like putting the needs of the church before your ministry, your God-given responsibilities, your spouse, your family, the time they need, the ministry that needs to take place, as you as a husband, a mother, a father, a friend, a mentor, you know, a, a teacher, or whatever it might be in, in your family life. But it's when you put things before your God-given responsibilities, ministries, and maybe church comes before. Church should never get in the way with the ministries that you have as a parent, as a, as a mother, a father, a brother, as a believer. We can get, church can get in the way because it could get busy. We can have ministries, we can have all these things, and I got to go, hey honey, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, and we're on and on going. And your family is sitting there. You know, I remember way back early uh, when I got saved, looking and reading and understanding the scriptures and reading uh, uh, different things from different pastors. And the most heartbreaking thing was families who were neglected, young children who were now older and were now speaking up and saying how they didn't see their father, how they didn't see their parents, because they were so involved ministering to the church. When that ministry began at home and was being neglected, and, you know, it's an eye-opener to say, like, you know what, my, where, where am I in life? You know, me personally, I'm a, I'm, well, as a Christian, I'm a husband and I'm a father. And then, and then the, the list goes on. So those are my primary, primary ministries. And nothing should say, you know what, son, daughter, I'm sorry, I would love to be there or be with you right now. I know you're broken and you need ministry, but you know what, I have to go and do a Bible study. I have to go and the neighbor's kids down the street need me. So you got to wait when those children are mine. So there's things that, that can take place in Corbin today where we commit our time or our finances in the wrong way and our families, our, our, our ministries that the Lord has given us are suffering. Finances, time, your kids, your spouse, they may, may be lost. You may have a spouse who is not a believer. You may have children who are not a believer. And, you, and the time you give them is this, and the time you give your church is like this, when it needs to be where your ministry is. And so Corbin is a horrible thing when we look at what they were doing with this tradition of elders and uh, traditions, and they were uh, uh, what, neglecting uh, their families or their God-given ministries. So there's devastating results when it comes to something like this, neglecting relationships for ministry. And we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit more. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Now, with this verse right here, it's almost like one that you would want to write in the, in the, in the, in the 
margin of your Bible, something along the lines of the shooting yourself in the foot verse. Mark 7.13, it says, Thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So he's referring to the Corbin, and he's showing the example, and he's saying, man, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition. You see, invalidating, that's powerful right there. Akuro'o is the Greek word. Akuro'o, it means to render void, to make invalid, cancel, deprive of power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to, be, to minister, to love, to resist the, the devil. These guys, it says, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition. They were invalidating. They were becoming, making things powerless, the word of God, in the sense of it being, not being there and them choosing uh, people to go under uh, the traditions of, of man. Now imagine the word of God in our lives. It should, there should be power. But imagine invalidating this. No power. Maybe you have no joy. Maybe you have no strength to resist the devil. Because maybe you've been going about it wrong. Maybe you've been invalidating the word of God, which is your strength, your shield, your power, and you've been invalidating it because you've been doing all these other practical things to avoid and to stay pure, to avoid sin, and not letting it be based on the power of God. Because we've set up our own tradition, our own practices to avoid sin. And it's becoming to a point, getting to a point where it's becoming akuro'o, we're invalidating the word of God by going the wrong direction. Invalidating the word of God by your tradition is what he's saying here. They're invalidating it. You see, we trade in relationship for religion at some point if we continue down that path. If we continue down the path of, of, of what? Routine, rituals, ceremonial, religious rites, whatever they might be, we begin to invalidate the word of God. It starts out with a relationship with Christ. But these routines, which are good, go to church, get to Bible study, read devotionals and what have you, but it could become like a routine where you go through the motions and then we become religious. And we had a relationship and then it becomes a religious going through the motions. That zeal that we have for the Lord can turn into religion, bondage, into legalism. 2 Timothy 3.5 says something about uh, denying the power of God. Referring to these, this, in, that, in the context, is pretty radical where we don't want to get. Having the appearance of godliness but, but denying its power. Avoid such people. God forbid getting to that point where we're now just operating on our own willpower instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. Turning our walks into tradition or religion, needs, we need to be careful. We need to guard our hearts. And that's the matter that Jesus is about to address, the heart. Because with our hearts can fool us, trick us into traditions, into routines, into going through the motions. We could start out with great intentions, but then it can lead to legalism, really. It can lead to legalism, canned prayers, prayers that are just empty, empty of the Spirit of God and just words. 
You could look at it as diligent church attendance, which is important. But then that could be your justification of, I'm doing my thing, you know? I mean, there's certain um, religions that you feel as though you go and you make a good confession and you live your life and you go back and make sure you get another good confession. And there's a lot of, of, of horrible things going on until that next confession. And so when we look at this, it's, it's all based on religion, practices. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. That's what religion is. It's a relationship is what we want, is being with the Lord having an actual relationship. So going through the motions, we have to be careful. You know, practical safeguards, you know, they are good for us. We need practical safeguards. There are certain things that certain people do that others don't because they don't have to, but they feel that it helps them. Well, good for them that they're doing what they need to to avoid sin. But we can't get to a point where, let's say I have a practice and I don't do a, B, and C, for whatever reason, because I don't want to be led in that temptation. And now I go through life, and it works for me. Well, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. But now I look around, and I see the other guys, and well, they don't do A, B, and C. And I can become very critical, because after all, that works. And after all, should we even really be doing that? I don't. And I don't think you should, or you should. And now I'm becoming legalistic, and I'm expecting everybody to live their lives the way I do, with the same safeguards that I've placed in my life. My traditions should be your traditions. And if I don't see it, I'm appalled. And now I become religious, and I've, I have to realize that there's a little pride element there, thinking, hey, you should be doing this too. This is something that I do. It can create a, a self-righteousness we got to guard ourselves from going through the motions. That is very important because the Pharisees were self-righteous at this point, And they were going through a lot of, 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 of emotions. All these uh, traditions and what have you. You know, I recall early on, again, in my walk, and uh, I was listening to, I would constantly listen to a pastor uh, on cassette tape. <laughs> Back, remember cassettes? Who remembers those, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, right. And so uh, his, I loved his ministry, and uh, I would I would constantly really get a lot of, of early training on there. And there was one time I was listening to him talk to his fellowship, and he rebuked them. He rebuked them specifically on their clapping. And I wanted to find the tape, but even if I found the cassette, I don't know where I would how I would listen to it <laughs> and what he, exactly he said. But I do remember he was rebuking them with love but pretty straightforward. And he felt as though their, their, their clapping, their offerings to the Lord had become uh, just a routine and not of the heart. And he was encouraging them. He goes, I don't want you to clap if it's not from your heart. He goes, our, our offering should be from the heart, not because it's time to clap, not because it's time to sing, we sing, but it's because of our heart set being right and genuine. Otherwise, we're kneeling when we're told to, standing when we're supposed to, raising our hands when we're supposed to, reciting something when we're supposed to, as opposed to a relationship with God where it's heartfelt and it's uh, led by the Spirit. And so I, re I recall that, and I think we all need to guard ourselves personally when, in our walks. When worship begins, uh, that is a moment of worship, praise to God inviting him to be with us, 
to thank him for the things that he's done in our lives. And you know, if someone's done something great for me and I say, thank you, but they've done something great, you're not going to get a thank you from me. You're going to thank you. Thank you so much. There's going to be a lot of, of, of gratitude behind it. Love. And that is what the Lord wants for us to worship him in spirit and truth. And so we have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our relationships. Man, I'll tell you, becoming religious or going through the motions is very strenuous, um, taxing on relationships. Like I said earlier, uh, your, it could be your children. It could be your spouse. You know, to understand um, how that would look is consider marriage. Consider marriage. Um, marriage is the picture of what? Christ and the, and the church, right? Christ and the church. Marriage is a ministry, by the way. Marriage is a ministry. Our marriages should be telling the world, this is how the Lord treats uh, me, the church. The husband treating the wife. You love your wife, and you lead her in a godly way, and there is just a beautiful harmony, uh, and that everyone says, man, I want a marriage like theirs. So that what they're seeing is, I want a faith like theirs. I want what is, is behind that marriage and they realize that it's, this is a ministry and the, I treat my wife the way, uh, the, lo, the way Jesus loved the church. I love my wife. And when they see this relationship, well, they see the ministry. They see um, the gospel. Think about marriage, though. Think about marriage when you're dating and everything's new. Wow. Exciting, right? All right, I'll give you time a little bit for some of you guys to think back when you were dating your wives. Um, I have a story about Carol. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I looked up. She caught, I, she, you caught my eye. And um, I'm thinking about you, so I'm looking at you. Um, but I do have lots of stories. But when we first met, you know, you're, you're, it's brand new. And uh, have I ever told you guys how we met? Remember, Carol? <laughs> I'll spare you today. Um, but we, and so um, it's all new. It's exciting. And it's fun. You know, you're, you're, th this dating um, thing that you're going through. And then there's, you know, it, she's the one or he's the one. And you're engaged. Now you're in love. Now there's this expectation. You start planning whether, you're, whether you'll have a family, where you will live. And, and, and then you get married. And once you're, in, once you're married, then all these things, that excitement, the, uh, the, the newness, the fun, all the planning, expectations, all these things are in in, in motion. They're all going forward. You get your first apartment, perhaps, your first car together, first vacation, and then your first argument. And you know how that first argument is? Maybe it's like, oh, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, oh, no, no, I was wrong. No, no, I was wrong. And it's like, oh, then they're, they're, no, I'm worse. I'm a terrible husband. No, I'm a terrible wife. And then you hug and you kiss and you're back in marital bliss just like this. But now think about this, 50 arguments later, 50 arguments later about the same issue, right? Now things start to change. Now it's not like, um, I'm a horrible husband. Yeah, you are a horrible husband. That's pretty much what it gets to. <laughs> you're like, no, honey, it doesn't work that way. Remember, you're supposed to, and, and whatever. So, you know, because it's not new anymore, and, but you, you, we could fall into these traps, with marriage. You know, marriage is based on love, uh, selfless, a sacrificial love that you just put her first, you put him first, and that's what causes the marriage to just blossom, 
But it can become stale. After a while, 50 arguments of the same thing and you still haven't figured it out. Things can be redundant in a marriage. It can become very much like uh, religious, religious-like. You can end up becoming glorified roommates. And you know, when you see this, if you've ever been in that situation, it's hurtful to see couples that have gone to a point where now they're just going through, emotion, uh, through the motions. And the, and the relationship that was once thriving and exciting, couldn't wait to clock out of work to go see her. And now it's like, you know, I'm going to put in for overtime. <laughs> right? It, because, uh, you know, it's just, you know, my domain at home is just horrible now. And I, you know, I'd rather not be there. Well, our marriages, when you look at a marriage, which is Christ and the church, our relationship with, with the Lord could be get that way the same. When, when things aren't working out the right way. When we, we just start to go through routines and emotions. And a marriage going through the motions is very sad. It's very sad because of where it was and where it should be. But there's always hope because we know where it can go with the Lord. When we shake off all the pride and we shake off all the things, when we rid all of, all of all the pride and, and, and whatever, and you look to the other one and you're blessing one another and, and so on. So I use that because the marriage is a good picture to see how something beautiful can just become routine and traditional and just, you know, run of the mill. But... Um, you know, so uh, this tradition or routine is destructive to marriages, to children. I mean, think about this. Think about um, the, uh, think of, of children, children, your spouse, all these people. Let's say you're, you're, you know, you're so zealous for the Lord that you burn out your children because you expect them to be responding and having a walk like an adult and understanding things because you do. And then, you know, you, you start, uh, you start um, breaking their spirit, if you will. In Ephesians 6, it talks about children. It talks about children not to provoke them to anger and what have you. And in ways we provoke them is sometimes perfection. And we can destroy their faith, maybe never come to faith. It can be very overwhelming when we become religious, when we become having traditions and having routines and what have you. We also could become a bad witness. We can become an extremely bad witness, the Christian who's always pointing the finger, who has all these rules that they go by, and the world is watching us. And they're watching us point our fingers, and, and you know, he does that, she does that, and we're all doing this in the church. It's like, I don't want to go there, man. I'd rather go to the party where everyone is, sort of loves each other. You know, that's worse, of course. But when, when we're looking at like, each other like this, it's like, who wants to be part of that? You know, because our eyes are on ourselves, on each other, and not the Lord. And, and we're not allowing the Lord to change our lives and to walk in humility. So we have to be careful that we do not become ineffective in our walks. We don't want to be a, a laughingstock to the, to the world, in the, even in the religious community or in the Christian community, I should say, where we are just always never on the same page instead of pointing to Christ. We need to guard against these things. Um, you know, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 12 to 13, um, Matthew writes it this way. Uh, it says, Then the disciples came to and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? In 13 it says, But he answered and said, Every plant which is my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Verse 14, Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. 
And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Let them alone, Jesus says. Let them alone. Ephiemi is the Greek word. Ephiemi, it means to depart, disregard, leave, go away from. It's speaking of a husband divorcing their wife, separating, get away from this legalism, get away from the traditions of men, get away from the routine type Christianity. And in a real true heart relationship with the Lord is what we're talking about here. He's saying, get away, depart, get away from it. Um, you know, here's another thing is when a person gets saved, a lot of times when a person gets saved and they realize what they've been doing, they've been duped by the world, the devil, they're in sin, and they just go full scale the other way. Sort of like an, a pendulum swings from one side to the other. You have two pictures, I guess, as a pendulum swings from one side to the other. And, and if when you swing over and you stay over there, you're, that's a lot of zeal. And it can get us in trouble. It actually can get us in trouble. Because that is where we're, we're very susceptible to pointing the fingers. You know, I don't, you know, I personally, when I got saved, uh, it was a radical transformation. And you know what, what wouldn't go away and I didn't realize was my profanity was horrible. Right, Carol? It was bad, really bad, and it didn't even dawn on me. And so I'm a believer, and, I, and you're saying, like, come on, Steve, how did it not dawn on you? Didn't. It was so normal. It was my language. And until it really hit me, and I realized I won't be found uh, guiltless. Man, that changed things. So, um, but when you first get saved, everything is like, whoa, we shouldn't be doing that, or I shouldn't be doing this, I shouldn't be doing that, I shouldn't be doing this. Nor should you, nor should you, nor should you. You should do it the way I do it because I am full on for the Lord. Because we swung over here and we stayed. Instead of, you know, after a while, you, you find and you get some maturity in you and you don't do the wrong things. The, uh, the abacus, is that the thing? The little slide, right? Then there's people that get saved and they, they get saved, boom. And the next one. And then the next one. And the next thing. And the next thing. And they're gradually, there's a little, um, um, not hesitancy, but a little maybe counting the cost, if you will. And there's, there's, there's a good to that because they don't go and step on everyone's toes and start pointing the fingers and become a, a, a Pharisee when they're not even a Pharisee. They're just excited about salvation. And so we've got to find that balance that we're not look, the world's not looking at us and thinking we're nuts. You know, they should see that we're nuts for the Lord, but not anything else. Um, you know, when I got saved, I did swing over like uh, the pendulum. And, of course, the profanity came a little later. and I, Not a lot later. It was really quick. Learning through my cassette ministry, actually. Um, the, and the pastor said that, and he said, he will not hold you guiltless. I froze. I was driving. I remember when I heard this. Anyway, um, so I, I remember being so excited about certain teachings and doctrines and whatever that I was so excited about it, brand new, that I said a lot of things that I regret. And I said a lot of things that I regret to people that I love. And people that mentored me. And I said horrible things. And I remember, I remember the response when I said certain things about that, well, then you're deceived. And you know, I, What? I said that to someone I love? And, and uh, the look they had was like, <laughs> you know, it was like, okay. It was like they understood. Slow down, Steve. Slow down. And a lot of times we need to slow down. Because we can become very uh, legalistic, religious very opinionated and very hurtful and we can cause people to turn the wrong way. We got to guard ourselves from these, this type of stuff. Running away from pharisaical tendencies. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Okay. 
After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all you, and understand. So he said, call. He's paying, pay attention is what he's saying. Pay attention to this. He called them. And that Greek word means to call to oneself. He invited them. After he called the crowd to him again, he called them. He He wanted to say something to them. And when I see this, I'm like, Jesus is about to speak. He says, hey, guys, listen to me. Pay attention to this. We should all be silent. Our hearts should be bowed. What does he want to speak to me? Even today in this verse, what does he want to say to me? After he called the crowd, he began to uh, saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. He called them. He's inviting them. That word means to invite. Gather around. Listen. Akuo'o. Listen. Akuo'o means to consider this. Consider what's about to be said. Give attention to this and understand suneemi. Suneemi is the Greek word, and it means to have insight. Comprehend this. Guys, come here. Gather. Listen. Pay attention to this. Sort of like think about when you're raising your kids and you're saying, you know what, listen, listen to this. I just want you to listen what I have to say. You need to learn this. And he is giving them something to learn. He's saying, hey, listen up, because he's also, it's also said in a, a loud voice. Called is rooted in a loud voice in the Greek. In other words, he called them, guys, come here. Listen. Pay attention. Now everyone's going to, what's he going to say? He just had interaction with these Pharisees. Called them hypocrites. These guys weren't washing their hands properly. And so he's listening up, and he's saying, process this, grasp this. Akuo, listen. Not just hear me, listen. You know, I saw this little um, meme, I guess. There's this guy, and a picture of him, he's sunglasses, kind of cool-looking dude. And it says, my wife says, I only have three faults. I fish too much. I don't listen. And something else. <laughs> not paying attention. Not listening. So he, Jesus wants us to pay attention and listen. Verse 15. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to this. Pay attention to this. Not abiding by these traditions does not spiritually defile you guys. That's what he's saying. Yeah, you didn't do it the way the elders do it and the Jews and, and washing the hands and, you know, the demons at night. And some people would say demons at night and it might touch, go inside your body. It's, that's not the case, Jesus is saying. But the things which proceed out of the man, that is what defiles the man Verse 17, when he had left the crowd, now he leaves the crowd. So he had the, the first group, the Pharisees. The second, the crowd was there, but then he called them back. There's that second group, making sure they understand. And when he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parables. So now he's with his disciples. And they questioned him. These learners, these guys want to learn, perhaps. Or perhaps out of respect for the, for the tradition, like, hey, I guess we didn't wash our hands, right? You know, are we good? You know, what's the deal here? But they're learners. And the disciples are there. And Jesus says this. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Uh, Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Basic elementary stuff. It's not this tradition. It's not what's going to defile you, man. You're way off if you're thinking that. You're walking in some serious uh, religion, uh, some serious traditions, um, works, motions, or whatever, uh, going through the motions. Verse 19, 
because it does not go into the, his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. So Jesus, Jesus just gave an incredible teaching here, speaking of the heart, cardia, which is the thoughts, the feelings, the mind, man's inner being, his nature. Because it, it's not what goes into the heart, but it's into his stomach, and it's eliminated. And in the Greek, it means, you know, you eat it, and then you, it's pooped out. It's gone. That's what he's saying there. He's saying, look, you, you eat, and that thing's gone, whatever. It's what comes out of the heart. It's what comes out of the man. Contrary to con com, um, popular belief that people are basically good, Jesus is giving a teaching to showing that, you know what? We're messed up. And we have to guard ourselves. So that, and we need him. A few verses here. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 5.12 for you taking notes, I'm read these off. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. In Genesis 8.21, it says the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. The scriptures are clear that we're messed up. And, and, and the Bible even says a child left to himself, you know, shames his mother. You know, so it's, we have to, there's, there's responsibility, but there's, and it starts with recognition that we're messed up and what we need. We need the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and says, for from within, out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, and well, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things which proceed, all of these things proceed from within and defile the man. Now, if I'm sitting here, let's say I'm sitting here and I'm telling you, you know what, man? Here's the odds of what's in your heart. And I say these things, you'll be like, whoa, offended. It's not in my heart. You know what? In a group this size, there's a lot of these things in our hearts. And left to themselves, us left to ourselves without the Lord, we're back into this. We're either back into this or we take it up. We need to watch out. That's, and and um, for another day, we'll talk about these individual things, but the pride, pride, that selfishness, that self-focus, eyes on ourselves is destructive. And that pertains, I think, to this matter here. When we get our eyes on ourselves and off of Christ, we get him off the Lord because we're, we're on him in the beginning and then we, what else can I do to make this better? And next thing you know, you're all worried about what you're doing and how you do it and you're going through the motions and you've lost focus with Christ. And the Pharisees, they um, were self-righteous. They had their eyes on themselves and they were constantly critical of others. We should be our worst critic. We should recognize our faults. We should know what's going on in our hearts and what we need. And when we look at this list, it's crazy. And you know what? Is if, if anybody is here struggling from, from these things, you know, Jesus is addressing that those things are there. And they're there and they continue when we nurture them. When we put our minds on those things. When we think about these things. We end up falling and, and going in that route and doing those things. You see... Um, you might have specific struggles. 
like these in here. Well, we need to focus on scripture that deals with those things, with those exact areas. Whatever the area that you're, you're falling short in, those are the verses that you should be going through the scriptures and finding and memorizing and, 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 and devoting your time and prayer to those. You see, these rules and traditions that we're talking about, safeguards so that you don't do these kind of sins, those are good. You do what you need to do. And remember, what you do, the other guy might not need to do it. She may not need to do it, but you do. And, and, and instead of saying, you need to do it too, and you need to do it too, we know our hearts, we know our weaknesses, and we need to take care of ourselves and being honest with the Lord and, and where we need his help. So these things can help, but they, they, they're only supplemental. They can end up becoming uh, primary. And, and when they become your primary source of avoiding sin, then the word becomes ineffective in your life because you so are focused on the things that you should be doing, uh, like works and what have you. But you know what? A heart, I think, is a lot like your lawn. It's got a lot of weeds in there. And even though you cut your lawn, you don't see them. You've got to cut your lawn, right, to keep, it, keep the weeds from taking over. But those weeds are there. You have to maintain it. And you have to maintain it by the power of the Spirit, really, in our lives. We're talking about our lives. Um, so here's three things that I want to point out. Is in Matthew 22, 37, it says, Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. How do I get there? Well, here's a list of scriptures for you um, that uh, I want to share with you. Uh, once. And that is Jeremiah 17.9. The first thing we need to do, here's three things. First thing is recognize that our heart is deceitful and not to be trusted. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Without the Lord, your heart will get you in trouble. Jeremiah 17.5 and 6, thus says the Lord, uh, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and it will not, be, it will not see uh, when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant, all alone, almost like on your own little island, all without the Lord. The second thing is we need to, is first recognize our heart is deceitful. We don't trust your heart. We need to trust the Lord. Second thing is to surrender your heart to the Lord. And that, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We see that with the Lord, your heart will keep you out of trouble because it's filled with the right things. What does surrender look like? Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Be honest with ourselves. Lord, where do I fail? Where am I falling short? Romans 12, 9 and 10 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You know that be without, uh, let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Those three things. Flipping them around in order, cling to what is good, the Lord. Number one, the Lord. You will abhor what is evil when you do that. 
You will see the evil things when you're in a relationship with the Lord. And then your love will be without hypocrisy. It'll be genuine. It will be real. The third thing is be proactive. Be proactive and don't be distracted by the world. Don't be led by the spiritually blind. But he, she is really cool and they have their life all together. They don't really follow the Lord, but they're really cool and you're being led by them for whatever reason after seeing what the heart is consisted of. Um, Proverbs 23, 19. Listen, my son, be wise and keep your heart on the right path. We need to be proactive. How so? Your word, uh, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. In uh, verse 11 of 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Stored up is treasured. I have stored up, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. And that, that there is key, is to make sure that we're storing up in our heart, treasuring in our heart um, the word of God. The last two verses I want to share with you. The results of all these things, of these three things, recognizing that our heart is deceitful and, and, and just filling our lives with, with the Lord, recognizing that he is the source of our salvation, not through things that we do. Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That same word treasured, stored, what you've stored in your heart, where your treasure is, is your treasure in the scriptures, is your treasure there. Luke 6.45 says, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. What do our lives look like right now? What does our marriages look like? What do our relationships in general look like? Well, if it's filled and you've stored up the word in your heart, then you have good treasure in your heart. It brings forth what is good. You have a good marriage. You have good family relationships because you have a good treasure in your heart. Otherwise, the evil treasure will bring forth evil, broken relationships, relationships that can't get reconciled for whatever reason. So, the last verse I share with you, and we'll take communion, is this, is where we want to be. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. He is the source of, uh, of our lives, our relationships, by tr- storing up, treasuring in our hearts the word of God. He is what causes us to be the right example to the world. He is what causes our marriages to flourish, our relationships to grow, our faith to grow. We need to guard ourselves from the things of becoming like the Pharisees relying on traditions, relying on, well, I do this and I do this every week and I do this. It's great if we're doing things, if our heart is filled with treasure, with his word, and we're doing it fueled by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your love for this world. We thank you, Lord, that we can and we're invited to have a relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, that you've, you've, you've called us. I thank you, Lord, for all of us. Lord, the people that have responded, I pray, Father, that more people would respond. 
I pray people that would, people would realize that the reality of when life is falling apart, often our hearts are falling apart. Our hearts aren't right with you. We may not even know you. Some people may not be following you. But Lord, I pray right now with the things your word has, has expressed to us, to our hearts, Lord, that we would respond. We know the right thing to do, and that's to fall into surrender to you and allow you to be our Lord. Lord, to have salvation. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your scriptures. I pray that all of us would examine the things that we do. Lord, that the things that we do honor you, that they're not going through the motions, that they are led by the Spirit, fueled by the Spirit, with sincere desire to please you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with us this afternoon as we pass out communion. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.